Welcome to Link to Hope, a podcast from Kentucky Cancer Link. I'm your host, Ben Keaton. Until there's a cure for cancer, Kentuckians need hope today. Link to Hope is a monthly podcast featuring experts discussing ways to remove barriers for Kentuckians in need of screenings, diagnosis, and treatment for cancer. In this episode, we're talking about an innovative approach to increasing cancer screenings across Kentucky. We will be joined by Elizabeth Holsclaw with ACS Can and Aaron Cruz Deer with the University of Kentucky School for Public Health. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to bring in Melissa Carr with Kentucky Cancer Link to talk about today's episode. Melissa, I'm uh, really excited about today's conversation uh, with uh, Aaron and Elizabeth. It's a program I've been following for quite a while. I was really intrigued by both the simplicity of it, also the effectiveness of it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think they've got a really good story to tell. But before we we hand it off to Elizabeth and Aaron, I wanted to hear from you on how CancerLink was engaged with them and, and part of the process for, for developing these audio cards and helping to raise awareness about colon cancer screening. Yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation as well. It's just such an important tool for our communities to be able to utilize. And Kentucky CancerLink had the fortunate opportunity to uh, be a partner with ACS and uh, Elizabeth in getting this card going and out into the communities. And it's just been, uh, you know, just another tool in the toolbox that has just uh, made a big difference. We've had patients that can't read that have, you know, been able to use it and and all sorts of things. So uh, it's always an enjoyable time uh, with the two of these. So looking forward to hearing what they have to say. Elizabeth and Aaron, thank you for uh, joining us today. Looking forward to the conversation. I thought we would start with Elizabeth. Can you talk a little bit about what you do with the American Cancer Society and your work in the colon cancer detection space? Yeah, thank you so much for having both of us. Um, I work for the American Cancer Society, been there almost eight years in the cancer control strategic partnership management role. Um, since I've been with ACS, what I've done is worked with state-based groups, groups that cover the whole state, such as health plans, state health department, our cancer consortium. Um, primarily what I do is risk reduction, so tobacco control, HPV vaccines, and then cancer screening, um, so colon, lung, breast, and um, cervical cancer screening, and other duties as assigned. So just a little sprinkle of survivorship in there, a little bit with cancer treatment, but um, for the most part, I'm working with systems, doing system level changes to reduce the burden of cancer here in Kentucky. And Erin, you're with the University of Kentucky School for Public Health. Um, can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing there and your connection to the cancer community? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I'm in the uh, Department of Health Behavior and Society in the College of Public Health, and I'm affiliated with Markey Cancer Center um, as well. And my work uh, generally focuses around the screening and early detection space. Um, and, and that's focused primarily on colorectal cancer over the last handful of years. I came to Kentucky 
2019, having spent the previous four years in rural southern Illinois. And I always joke around and say, if you if you think that Champaign is southern Illinois, you've got about a half of a state to keep going to get to where I was. Um, is actually south of Lexington. I, I, I also joke around and say that I moved from the Midwest to the Mid-South by moving geographically north. So uh, I only say that because uh, rural Southern Illinois had a lot of very similar issues as rural Kentucky in terms of access, um, different communication styles, um, lack of resources, and a lot of gaps that needed to be filled in terms of uh, cancer screening. So I took a lot of the, the, the work that I did there um, and I do a lot of similar work in Appalachian, Kentucky, um, where I'm doing a lot of implementation science work. So in short, what that means is we have a whole lot of evidence-based interventions and strategies that we know work, and the vast majority of those never find their way into practice. So I try to find ways of actually getting those into practice by either working with providers or patients or clinics or even communities. Um, and to that end, Elizabeth and I have uh, worked together both on some stuff in, in Eastern Kentucky and then also in Louisville with uh, some African-American churches um, trying to get colorectal cancer screening um, uh, better better on the radar there and find better ways of, of getting people screened. So that pretty well sums up what I've been doing lately. So how did the two of you come together to work on health disparities, especially around cancer, um, and, and start to try to solve some of these problems? I think if I, if I recall right, Elizabeth recalled me saying something that she liked hearing at one of the colon cancer retreats and got giddy with excitement and chased me across a room to talk to me or something like that. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, she was, she was showcasing one of her, um, uh, health communication strategies, the talking card, which we'll talk about in, in detail in a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> I got really excited by that because I thought it was a, a really unique, cool, um, opportunity that has its own unique technological spin that can reach a lot of people that may not get reached um, to get the word out for colon cancer screening. So um, I made a point to chat with her at that meeting. And I think since then, everything has been, it's, it's just gone from there. It's blossomed from there. But that was back in, I think, 2019. And we've been, we've been working together since then. Yeah, giddy is uh, pretty much how you describe me. <laughs> Uh, I and I we just clicked immediately. Um, and one of my methods for working, um, you got to have a lot of laughs when you work cancer in Kentucky. And I really try and connect with um, people that have the same energy that I do, and who I just enjoy working with and kind of lift me up and my work up as well. And um, I mean, it was almost immediately we met each other. And then it was like, hey, let's let's do this, this, and this together. And I think... Well, I, I appreciate your all's positive energy because, you know, this is a, a really difficult subject, especially mm -hmm. in Kentucky. And it, it, if memory serves, Kentucky has a history of being one of the worst states in colorectal screenings in the past. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of our history and and what was the problem that you all saw and and how did you begin to try to solve that problem? Uh, yeah, Kentucky has, um, we get a lot of flack for um, our health disparities across the board. 
cancer being one of them, but you name it, and Kentucky is struggling in some way or another. But in the story of colon cancer here in the state of Kentucky, we actually have a lot to celebrate and be proud of. Um, No other state has accomplished as much as we have in Kentucky. Um, We have a long way to go, but um, I'm terrible with statistics. So Erin, you you throw in facts. (laughs) I will weave a beautiful story. You throw in facts. Um, But the Kentucky Cancer Consortium has been a critical um, convener in this work. And um, way before Erin and I lived here, the groups came together um, in the late 90s, early 2000. Kentucky um, had the highest incidence of mortality for colon cancer. And I'll just take a pause for a second because colon cancer is different than breast cancer. You can do screening and find breast cancer early um, and increase the opportunity for a an individual who's had breast cancer to live longer. For colon cancer, we can find it before it's even become cancer. So that's why there's such urgency and why such energy. People get upset. They have personal connections to things like ovarian cancer or breast cancer. Unfortunately, we don't have the tools in our toolbox to screen for those. But for colon cancer, we have remarkable tools to find it, not just early cancer, to increase that opportunity for somebody to uh, live a long and fruitful life, but to find it before it's even cancer in the first place. So there is an urgency, but also why it's even more tragic that Kentucky is the top when it comes to uh, colon cancer mortality, because we don't have to be there. We can prevent it, completely prevent colon cancer. Um, so going back to the story in the early 2000s, we had we were the 49th, I think, in the nation when it came to colon cancer screening. And everyone kind of came together, sang from the same uh, choir book and worked tirelessly year after year, policy changes and getting grant monies and working on the systems level, working in the community level, doing education, provider education. Um, And after 17 years, I think we're 17th in the nation when it comes to um, colon cancer screening. That's huge progress for public health to make that kind of impact in public health years. That's a relatively short amount of time. And that's a testament to how well Kentucky has work together and all of these advocates and groups coming together and working. Um, But we still have a long way to go. And ACS has, we had this 80%, uh, 80 by 18, 80% of those eligible would be screened by um, 2018. And the Paducah area actually got to that, which was really exciting and got national recognition. Um, But now we've evolved to 80% in every community because not every community is getting screened equally. Appalachia, Kentucky, Black Kentuckians. Um, So that is what led sort of my focus, ACS's focus, our partner's focus is, okay, now that we've done this broader work, now we've gotten the low-hanging fruit. How can we make sure that disparate communities are getting the screening and care they need. Erin, anything else? 
No, I think that's really, I think you really summed it up well. And, and though we've done a really great job at increasing screening rates in Kentucky, and it's just been a phenomenal, uh, you know, multifactorial uh, approach to get that done, we still see disparities that are exacerbated in, in those certain communities. So uh, a lot of the work that Elizabeth's been focused on um, with the initial talking card was focused on Appalachian, Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. Um, but we also see disparities in some of the um, Latino Latinx communities. We see it in black communities and we're trying to address those as well. And part of that comes from the fact that a lot of times our materials and our methods are not necessarily geared to reflect the local values and the local culture of these communities. We kind of use a one size fits all. Um, and, and there's a need um, for very targeted approaches. So that that's kind of the thing. That's that's the area that brought Elizabeth and I together is this concern Um for various specific communities and making sure that we're reaching out to them in ways that reflect their beliefs, their value systems, their culture, et cetera. So we've done a great job, um, but there's still a lot of work to be done, I think is probably the, the, the way to sum it up. I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about um, what we need to do going forward. But I, before we get there, I'd like to review a little bit about how we got from 49th to 17th, because it's a pretty significant jump. And I know that we've made some some really dedicated efforts around this. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those efforts were? How did how did you decide what approach needed to be taken? And then how did you execute on that and work with other members in the community to, to make sure that we were pushing for more um, colorectal screenings? I think a huge, huge factor is um, Medicaid expansion in Kentucky and the Affordable Care Act, getting more people to have not just um, coverage that includes colon cancer screening, but now we have people going to a primary care doctor who can now have regular care, they can have that trusted relationship with a doctor that can eventually lead to conversations around prevention. So having folks go to the ER as their primary way of receiving care is just not sustainable. It's not working. It's expensive. So I think that there was a huge jump in that. Um, The different modalities of colon cancer screening really helps. Um, We have access to care problems in Kentucky, not just in terms of um, people having to drive multiple hours to their care, but we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough facilities that would, if we were going to get to that 80%, which is our goal, 80% of those who are eligible for colon cancer screening are getting screened. We don't have enough doctors, appointments, and days in the year that would allow us to screen that many patients. So incorporating more options. There's the FIT test, the fecal immunochemical test that people can do at home, Colaguard, people see the happy box on TV. Um, And it's not just educating the public about that, because one of the things we found in Eastern Kentucky, we had someone going out that worked for the American Cancer Society doing such a great job educating the community. They went to their doctor and their doctor had never heard of it. So we also had to educate their doctor or at a systems level. This happened only a few years ago. A hospital system in Eastern Kentucky, their pharmacy wasn't even processing or utilizing these 
fit test. So you had one GI doctor in that system and the entire system was not using at-home stool-based testing. So lots of partners doing, those are just a few examples. I think the progress has come from little tiny incremental, just chipping away at some of these barriers. But the huge one is making sure that people have access to health insurance and healthcare. Yeah. And we went from having relatively high rates of uninsurance to quite low rates of uninsurance because we were so early at that expansion. So that was able to take care of the vast majority of people. And something uh, Elizabeth, I know, I know knows in, in her work is that a lot of these large uh, plans will send out these these fecal immunochemical tests and and send them out to people and those folks who hadn't got screened can get screened um, in in a way that they may not have otherwise been able to do previously because they didn't have a primary care physician and what we know with colorectal cancer especially is that um, if it's caught early these tests you know for example they they look for signs of early trouble which in this case is blood that can't be noticed with the human eye. By the time somebody has those symptoms that are so bad that they go to the ER or they, they, they you know, finally reach out for care, sometimes it can be too late. So this expansion of healthcare allowed for people to get, be able to get screened early before, before any symptoms came. So that was really huge. But again, talking about why we still have, you know, a lot of areas to work with in this is um, having access to healthcare is only one piece of the puzzle. So in certain areas, you have transportation issues, you have time issues. Um, one of the reasons these stool-based tests are so important for providers to have into the, in, in their arsenal of screening tools is because, as we know, anyone who's taken a colonoscopy knows that they have to do prep the day before. Um, you don't want to work when you're doing prep for most jobs. That's not going to be a very fun day. And then you have to have somebody drive you to and from the test. So you're looking at yourself taking two days off of work and then having somebody else take a day off of work to, to get you to and from. And with these stool-based tests, they don't have to do that. So that just underscores what Elizabeth said about making sure that the providers, the pharmacists, and other folks within the entire healthcare system are aware of these different tools that we have for screening too. And I think another important aspect of this is the kind of the peer-to-peer -peer conversations and encouragement um, for for seeking you know medical care, seeking screenings. And I know I want to dive into you know what I think brought us to this conversation today, which was the audio card that that you all released that helped encourage uh, people to 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 get colorectal screenings. Um, can you talk a little bit about Elizabeth? Can you talk a little bit about um, you know how that came about and it, you know what success you've seen with that and, and any ideas that that may spur to continue to help address some of these disparities? Uh, the epic story. I'm going to call this the. Uh, it's going to be on Broadway and it's the Elizabeth One Woman Show. Although Aaron, you can be part of it too, I guess. Where um, <laughs> I tell the story of the talking card. Um, I, I've given a lot of thought and tried to analyze where on earth this idea came from. <laughs> uh, and I haven't quite pinpointed it. It was almost immediately when I started this job. Um, and if you can't tell from my accent, and a lot of my thought has been around accents and thinking through people, the way they talk, their cadence, their dialect. I'm from Western New York. I've lived in six different states and I was pretty new to Kentucky. Um, and so I was learning and growing. I've been in um, 
cancer my whole career, but always on the cancer patient survivorship end. This was new to me, the screening and prevention. Um, So I was working with the state health department, thinking through, okay, we have a problem. We have white Appalachian males are not completing their at-home fit tests. And Um, I looked at the instructions and I'm a social worker. I have a master's in social work and this, the instructions were so complex and it was insert the grooved, uh, insert the groove portion into the vial, into your stool sample and put it into the vial. Very complex, difficult words. Fit tests were new to me. Kentucky was new to me. Everything was new to me. So I think I had sort of a fresh eyes and fresh perspective on all of this. And health literacy has always been a passion of mine. And thinking again, in Kentucky, we're, we're to make our, um, our tools with health literacy in mind and at a fifth and sixth grade level. And this clearly was not at that level. At the same time, my husband had given me a cheeky who let the dogs out uh, Valentine's card, which I I keep right here. Um, And for some reason, those two ideas connected with me. What if we had a speaking Hallmark card, like your husband will get you for all his love that he has for you (laughs) for Valentine's Day. And what if it spoke the instructions in very simple, clear language in the dialect of the individual? And uh, it's hard to explain this weird idea in my head. And it took years, years of me saying, Hey guys, what do you think if we put instructions in an audio card? Um, And I didn't get any takers. (laughs) So um, with my friends at the um, Kentucky Cancer Consortium, they believed in it and they said, what if we just printed them? So I found Mike and he was a Kentucky Cancer Link patient and I heard Mike speak at a conference and we all were crying. Uh, He was so uh, impactful because he was so, his humility came through. He and I talked, I don't think he graduated the fourth grade. Um, He worked at Keeneland and he, he had no idea what I was asking of him. I got a rented, not even rented, like they gave me a spot at a local TV station um, at first thing in the morning on a Sunday morning because he worked six days a week. Um, And when I asked him what he thought about this, because we're using words like poop on the paper. I really wanted the language to be simple. And I was like, Mike, what do you think about all this? And he said, well, Elizabeth, if God kept me here and helped me survive my cancer and what I was supposed to do was to help you with this. And that's what God's plan was. And I was like, okay, Mike. So once I printed them, once I could give them to people and hold in their hands, then they had that aha moment of, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, And that was still several years ago. And I mean, I really, I drew the pictures on a piece of paper. I wrote all the language myself. ACS helped me make it into a pretty package. But I didn't know 
is this what the community wants? Does it help people complete their tests? So we partnered with the Cancer Consortium and the Kentucky Cancer Link and the Kentucky Cancer Program to do a pilot to see, did people like them? Did they work? Um, And the feedback was quite positive. And that's when uh, I met Aaron and he saw Mike. And by that time I had Wanda. Um, And the journey to the voice was also, I think, pretty interesting because I didn't know who the voice should be. I thought of Larry the Cable Guy, and I'm not even kidding. I got to his like publicist <laughs> because I had in my mind, like if Mater could tell you to poop on the paper, then you would do it. Um, but they were really looking for like a big splashy thing. And as Aaron said before, this is a very targeted narrow intervention. This is not for billboards. It's not a big splashy PR thing. Um, So I didn't get very far. But once I met Mike, I knew that that he was my voice. He was meant to be my mic. Um, So that is the genesis of the card. And now what Aaron and I are doing, because everybody has said, oh my gosh, there's so many applications for this. Somebody reached out to me and they want to do one for Hindi. And of course we want to do a Spanish version. Um, I've had folks interested in doing one for Native American populations, which would be wonderful because not only does this low tech card address health literacy, um, it also addressed people with um, visual impairments. We have broadband problems here in Kentucky. So folks might not have access to tech Or they're like me and they hate apps and don't want to download a video and don't want to look at somebody talking about poop on YouTube. Um, So we've gotten some good feedback about that as well. So that's my one woman show. And and this is one of the reasons that I, that I kind of connected with Elizabeth in the first place. When I heard that in 2019, having just moved from Southern Illinois to the big, big city of Lexington, um, you know, I, I, again, I work in implementation science, so it's, it's ways of finding uh, out how to get these evidence-based strategies into practice so that they can actually, you know, do what they're supposed to do, which is, in, in this case, help people get screened. And one of those evidence-based uh, interventions is mailed fit. We know that mailed uh, fit tests work. So that's always been in the background of my mind. And with rural populations in particular, you know, for a lot of the different strategies that we have, it's app-based strategies. And I had just moved from Southern Illinois where I had four years of no broadband internet. It just didn't exist where I was. So my internet was my cell phone. And in the middle of the summer, if the trees were in bloom, my cell phone may or may not really work very well for data either. And that's a really serious concern that oh, that's echoed in, in Eastern Kentucky as well. So I saw this technological um strategy of this talking card that doesn't require an internet connection that just requires you to be able to open up a card and listen and follow along with the simple instructions and the simple pictures that are in there. And I thought this is a really great strategy to be able to reach into these communities. Plus, then I think about, for example, my own aging parents. My mother's terrible with technology. She wouldn't know how to how to download an app, let alone use the app. And I know that's not everybody, but it's a substantial portion of, of individuals as they get older. They don't they're not they don't keep up with the technology. I don't even keep up with the technology. I work with undergraduate students who talk about things that make me just look at them like they have three heads. So it just happens as you get older. And this is just such a such an innovative 
um, simple uh, strategy to get people screened that it was really attractive to me. And I wanted to do a little bit more research and partner with Elizabeth. And I think, Ben, the other thing you mentioned is this peer-to-peer element. And one of the things that we're finding in some of our focus groups, both in Appalachia and in Louisville, is people are excited to share these with their with their friends and family. And we've heard from people of, I would share this with my cousin. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the doctor, but he sees this and it's coming from me instead of from a doctor. And he's comfortable talking to me. And it's pl- plus it's kind of neat and it's unique. And I get to show them that. And maybe that'll help get them screened. So I think that there's just a lot of uh, pathways by which this particular device can 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 work, and it's not just it's not simple. It's not just one way, but there's multiple ways and multiple potential uses for this. I think. Yeah, and the the focus groups have just I mean, they've just been phenomenal, and um, the folks that we've spoken with over the course of this year in these focus groups absolutely love the card. And it is part of the Aaron and Elizabeth lore, how many times I've cried. And I'm not a crier, but I get so emotional about this card. And to have Aaron step up and believe in the card and want to partner with me and see it to that next step. And then to have the community members look at the card and absolutely love it and connect with it and respond so positively has been very, very meaningful to me. So what do we do next with this? So we, we've learned a lot about this. I, you know, I, I, I love kind of the accidental story about how this, this became such a big success. And I also love that it's kind of the anti-TikTok and, you know, it's, it's the, it's the very, you know, easy and straightforward. Uh, but, but what's next for this as we continue to try to find ways to reach people across Kentucky in communities that have maybe not been traditionally well served um, to, to, to help encourage screenings, both in the colorectal space, but just in cancer. I think there's probably a two-pronged approach, and I'll let Elizabeth speak to it. I think there's a small-scale approach where we look at developing different models for different communities that, again, reflect their values, their culture, and their needs. And, of course, that starts by talking to those communities and having these focus groups and conversations. It's oftentimes what we think is the best strategy is completely different from what the community tells you uh, they need. Of course, the large scale strategy is that we're going to try to, to, you know, try to obtain funding to do a larger intervention and make this part or part of a um, larger intervention. So we'll package this along with a few other different strategies um, to see which strategies are most effective, either alone or in combination. So, for example, the talking card by itself patient navigation by itself, or maybe a combination of the talking card followed up with some patient navigation to help people get screened. And we're going to try to get some funding in the next year to, to do that. Um, but the other the other key piece, and Elizabeth's mentioned this, is that people are really excited about this and they, they really want to get their hands on the talking card. And I don't blame them because it's a very exciting project. But Elizabeth and I have been thinking very cautiously about how we develop a, a standardized set of evaluation measures so that we whatever data we're collecting, we can collect data that are not apples to oranges so that we know that it works and we know how it works and why it works. And, and part of that is then having very um, you know detailed conversations with these partners who are interested in it so that they know that 
this is a research project, not just an outreach project. And we do need to continue collecting data so that we know, um, again, uh, the effectiveness of this. And then also the, the, the second part is you can't take a Kentucky card and bring it to, for example, upstate New York. If they're excited about it, that's great, but we need to work with them on developing a new version of the card that reflects their population. So there are a variety of different things. And, you know, I think the popularity of it is well-deserved, but we need to make sure people pump the brakes and, and do this the correct way, because as Elizabeth will be happy to attest, the work that we've done both in Appalachia and Louisville, it's it's not fast work. It, it involves going to those communities and having long, detailed conversations with them, which often goes well beyond the talking card because they've not necessarily received the education on colorectal cancer screening within their medical settings. So, Elizabeth and I always say we, we, we factor in a little bit of time for an education session in every one of these focus groups because they have lots and lots of questions. So um, all that to say, um, there, there are a handful of different strategies, both at a smaller level and at a larger level, and they're all, they're all equally exciting. A few additional things. Not only can we look at populations like regional populations, but I've also had conversations with somebody in Chicago who wants to do an audio card with the Chicago Fire Department and, you know, build a culture within a particular kind of worker, um, which I think is a really interesting um, idea. But one of the things that came out, like this was basically my hypothesis, and it came out in a few focus groups. And I mean, Aaron and I did happy dances afterwards. So we brought the mic card to our first round of focus groups, and we had them listen and look at the card and give us feedback. They really liked Mike in these black churches. We created new versions of the card based on the feedback that we got. I, I made five different new kinds of cards and we brought them back to the same churches. And for the most part, it was the same people in the focus groups. The feedback that we got was that the instructions were easier and more simple than the original card. So the perception is that the people in the focus groups could understand the instructions better. They found it more clear and easy to understand and thought we had changed the words. We hadn't changed anything. But having it in a voice that reflected their community and having pictures, they loved that they weren't stock pictures. The voices that I have are real people. They're real survivors. They're real um there's a real colon and rectal surgeon and a nurse practitioner. These are their community members. These, and they can recognize that. This is not, you know, off the internet that I just slapped the picture. And that was so huge to me that, um, that they felt they could understand it better with that voice reflecting them. And then my other thing is that I loved they were already planning who they were going to give these cards to. They were already um, one of the the female survivor, Marie. Um, she goes to two churches on Sunday. She spends five hours on Sunday going to two different churches. She's a colon cancer survivor. And she wants boxes of these to take and give out. And that was a method and a utilization of the card that I had never imagined. That the voice, the person who feels a sense of ownership over the card, therefore becomes an ambassador over screening. What a magical thing that is, and an empowering thing. 
And we also had a, a colon cancer survivor who is a reverend and several of the churches knew him, even though he wasn't the reverend of their church, they knew Reverend Freddie and they were excited to see Reverend Freddie on their card. And um, I loved that. So it is not something that we can just wallpaper or t-shirt cannon across the nation. <laughs> I think it is going to take time for us to develop community centric cards, but the hope is that once they get into the hands of those people who are in need of screening, that it really will help them take that next step. In the middle of one focus group, one guy said to us, I had no idea colon cancer screening was this easy. I'm going to call my doctor tomorrow. This was a focus group. And I think I think that really underscores what, what I was saying earlier about how these cards can be effective via different mechanisms, right? Obviously, the way we intended is that um, they would be packaged with a fit test. There'd be some sort of medical or some sort of professional telling people, okay, take these two things home. But then there's these other mechanisms of somebody shares it with their friend and it doesn't come with a fit test, but they say, just look at this card. And the person says, well, that's interesting. Now I'm going to go and talk to my doctor about this. I'm going to ask my doctor. And that's actually another evidence-based strategy right there that, that we've done in other projects that I work with is we encourage and educate patients about their different options and say, talk to your doctor about these options. So if we educate the doctor to say, make sure you give the patients their different options for screening. And then we also talk to the patient and say, talk to your doctor it's less likely to get lost in the hubbub of a doctor's appointment. You have a you have a medical professional trying to remember to talk about screening. You have a patient who's trying to talk about screening, and now it gets brought up. So, even if uh, even if it's initially packaged with a fit kit for somebody who is it was intended for, and then they pass along the talking card to their cousin or their brother or their uncle or somebody, and that individual then goes to the doctor and says, "Hey, I got this thing from my from my family member. What's a fit kit? Can I get one of these?" Now we're reaching out to other people, so I think it's got a really it's it's got really cool applicability beyond um, beyond just the own intervention beyond being packaged in an intervention. There are various different ways that I think that this could work, and uh, I think that's what's really cool about it. And it's certainly something that we heard in the focus groups that we did with the black churches in Louisville. Is <laughs> it was heartbreaking. These folks are not hearing from their doctor. They've not had conversations about screening options with their doctor. Most of them, I think, had been screened with colonoscopy and had no idea that there were options. Um, one woman, she was a church champion for us, really excited. And she had several polyps removed, which are those precancerous cells. And no one had explained to her what polyps were. So in the introduction to her about what this focus group would be, she stopped us and said, wait a minute, I didn't know that I had potentially precancerous cells removed. Nobody told me about that. So clearly there's some kind of breakdown in communication. So whatever intervention it is, whether it's a talking card, whatever, if it's getting a consumer, a patient, a community member to feel more informed and educated and empowered to go in and talk to their provider, there's clearly a breakdown and we have to help them get to that point. And I think empowerment is the key. People are intimidated by colonoscopies for various reasons, whether it's the prep, the discomfort, the stigma, the invasiveness of the test. There's a lot of different reasons people are intimidated by that. 
and across the board at the churches that we worked with. And then I recently also did a focus group in, in Somerset, Kentucky. The one thing that we heard across the board is this looks easy. This is really easy to do. I don't think I would have any trouble completing this test. And that right there is, is the empowering aspect of the fit kit. But if people don't know that that's an option and how easy it is for that matter, they're never going to feel that sense of empowerment. It's gonna, there's there's going to be feelings of, of potential defeat before they even begin because all they think of that's available is a colonoscopy. And there, there is more than that. Colonoscopies are great but you're not going to reach everyone with just colonoscopies there. That's why we have these other tools in our arsenal. Um, and when people always ask us, you know, what's the best screening test, do you think? The, the, the answer that we all know to say in this, on this call is the best, the best test is the one that your patient's willing to do. That's it. A, a screened person is better than an unscreened person, period. Um, and this is, this is a way to empower people. They find it easy after they look at this. I don't think First of all, they don't even know that a fit test exists before. And second of all, they don't know how easy or how hard it is. And then they see this talking card and they say, yeah, I could do this. My friend could do this. This is easy. And I think that that's a really cool thing about it. And audio components aside, they also love the simple language. And we use the word poop. We just do. And I fought for that word. Um and that when that first individual in the focus group said, I really like that you use the word poop, I, I should have been more professional, but I did cheer um, and may have thrown my arms up and uh, done a little happy wiggle um, because I think making language simple and easy and understandable is absolutely critical. I, I was talking with a coworker who had a Colgard and she said that it took her three times to read through the instructions and she works for the American Cancer Society. We have to do better. And folks have handed me, oh, I'm really into health literacy. Here's our low, um, low literacy instructions. And I look at it, I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're trying to say here. Um, so audio aside, we have to do better making things with pictures, making things with inclusivity, doing images with people in wheelchairs, and um, just doing a better job of making things accessible. Elizabeth's one-woman show is going to be titled, Elizabeth Fights for Poop. <laughs> yeah. I was personally just going to ask her what the opening number was going to sound like and how many times the word poop is going to be used in the opening number. Oh, I will sing. I will do jazz hands. It's going to be a full show. Lights, the first, the first lyrics of the first song will be, Hi, this is so-and-so from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing the opening of that show. Um, but more importantly, I look forward to continuing to see the work that you all are doing. So thank you for sharing the the, the story and the information with us. Uh, if, if people want to find out more about either the audio card or the work that you all are doing in this space, where can they go and learn more about that? How about if they go to ACS CAN's website, which we'll, we will link on this podcast. That would work. Uh, There's also a terrific article in medical news that we can link to as well. Yes. That was, and of course, we, we're, we're both uh, fantastically uh, um, responsive people and easygoing people. So they, folks are always welcome to reach out to us personally if they have any questions or, or interest. And we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to connect them with whatever they need. 
thanks for being a part of our conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share on social media. We are back each month with a new episode. Please join us next time.